If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 46. God, the Bible, and the future of America. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, where we celebrate the uh, birthday, so to speak, of our nation. It is our 246th birthday as a nation. That is relatively young as far as nations go. And I am talking about our country today. I'm going to be talking about its roots, but I'm also going to be talking about the future of our country. You know, I'd say, well, no one knows the future of our country. I think we do. We can conclude some things through the pages of Scripture. Our nation is a unique nation. I don't know any conservatives who would necessarily argue with what I have to say. I do believe there are progressives and Marxists who would argue with what I have to say today. But we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. You might say, well, I thought Israel is the apple of God's eyes. Israel still is the apple of God's eye. God is not through with the nation of Israel. He loves the nation of Israel. But as far as taking, embracing the word of God and then living that faith out for hundreds of years as we have as a nation, it is unique in the history of the world. In the history of the world. Now think of what I just said world history as time goes on is being written every day and the world continues to go on and God is bringing his plan for the ages about. Now I've got just a few general points to make today. The first one though is this, we begin today with God himself And this is where we need to begin. When we talk about the future of America, when we talk about the Bible, we have to talk about God himself. God is God. We are not God. He is God. He is the sovereign one of the universe. The idea of being sovereign is the one that ruleth over all, okay? I like the term, he's the boss of the universe, No one bosses him around. He has his way. He's the one who decides how things will be, and things will be the way God said they will be. And so we want to understand that. God is God, the sovereign one of the universe. He is over all of creation. He is over all creatures. He's even over you and me. He will ultimately have his way, even if man denies he exists and shakes his fist at him. God does not wring his hands and and break out in a sweat when somebody curses him or says he doesn't exist or the nonsense that goes on today. No, God, his heart yearns for man to understand his need of Christ as Savior and to put his faith in Christ. He is the sovereign one. In Isaiah 46, verse 9, it says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God... There is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Look at the last part of that verse. My counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Listen, for you to say that, you're either deceiving yourself, or you're the sovereign one of the universe. He is the sovereign one of the universe. He can't make a mistake. Now, this will not only be seen in eternity, but has been the case since the beginning of time. History is his story. 
this is the way it is and this is the way it will be. Now I want you to turn with me over to Daniel chapter four and I want you to see a little bit more um, emphasis on this issue because this is critical to what we're gonna talk about today and not only that, but the future of our nation. Daniel chapter four, Daniel four comes after the arrogant display of pride by Nebuchadnezzar and his golden image. We see that in chapter three of Daniel. Of course, in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar and the image he erected are a type of the Antichrist and his image that we find in the book of Revelation. The Lord delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace. Now, when chapter four takes place, it is believed by some that the events take place some 30 to 35 years after chapter three. Well, keep that in mind. But chapter four is a unique chapter because it is autobiographical by King Nebuchadnezzar. He actually speaks and says some things. Yes, Daniel says some things too, but begins off with Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the point, folks, that we want to understand today. And listen, friend, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you cannot escape the fact that we are covering today. You can try to ignore it. It will not change the fact that God will have his way. His plan will work out. And your need and my need is to bow the knee to the will of God. Now, Daniel, it goes through Daniel chapter four, and it says in verse 17 this, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, now zero in on this, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. You notice what it says. The living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. God is in control. And he gives the world and he gives the direction of the world and the ruling, he gives it to whoever he wants. Now, you know what? That is a profound verse, but it gets better. Jump down to verse 45. We pick up the uh, conversation here. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Okay, this was going to be Nebuchadnezzar's future. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You might say, why do you read the same verse twice? I didn't. It's been said twice. Once is enough. Twice we need to sit up and pay attention. But it goes further than that. Jump down to verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times or seven years shall pass over thee, here it is, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. (laughs) Three times in one little section of scripture, the same truth is repeated, It it is mentioned, not repeated, but mentioned. Folks, God is trying to tell us something. God is the one who rules. God is the sovereign of the universe. And he gives the future and he works through the future and he gives, you know, the governments come up, governments go down. He decides 
who is going to rule and who is to be in authority. This is a fact. Now, how does that relate to the Bible? Well, this is very, very important. So let's move on. Our second point is this. Let's talk about the Bible for a moment. The Bible is inspired by God himself. It is the standard by which God judges nations and individuals and will judge in the future. Now, you're starting to get a picture of how this goes together. God is the sovereign of the universe. He is going to do what he is going to do, but his word does not contradict his nature. As a matter of fact, the word of God comes from the nature of God. The word of God, the written word of God is God-breathed, okay? Inspired is the word inspired. It means God-breathed. God gives us his word and he gives us his word for a reason because he wants us to understand that the way he is going to work in the world in which we live is according to the word of God that he has given us. So we see God, the sovereign, the perfect, the holy one, the omnipotent God, the almighty one, the all-knowing one, the all-wise one. We see him and he has told us, listen, I'm in charge, you are not, get it through your head, and I am going to work in the world and I'm going to do it according to the principles I've given you in this wondrous book that we have preserved for us, the Bible. It is the inspired word of God. The main factor that God uses in dealing with the nations of the world as far as his blessing and as far as his cursing is how they respond to the commands, the directives, and the principles that we find in scripture. This is how it works, folks. Now, I mentioned it earlier. God gave an unconditional covenant to the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 12, a lot of that's repeated or amplified in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham, okay? And, and God said, I will bless those nations that bless thee, and I will curse those nations that curse thee. Now, you don't have to be a deep student of history, but if you read history, you will find this is exactly the way it has gone. Those nations that have blessed and been a friend to the nation of Israel, God has blessed and prospered them. Those who have stood against the nation of Israel, God has cursed them and they have not prospered. And this is the record of history. Why? Because God is always true to what he has said. And so we can understand the importance. God is the sovereign one. And he has manifested his mind, what he wanted of it, onto paper for us to know his mind to where we can now respond to what he says and see the blessing of God or see the cursing of God. He's no respecter of people or nations. Listen, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. It doesn't matter who it is. He will not be mocked. Galatians chapter six, if you want to look at this with me. And here is a very, see this issue of blessing and cursing. His blessing and cursing is how they will respond to his commands, directives, and principles found in his word. This is what he's getting at in Galatians chapter six, where it says, be not deceived. Isn't that an interesting way to start the verse? Why? Because that's what people are doing today. 
Well, listen, I don't like what the Bible says about this issue of, or, or morals or, or this issue or that issue. What do we need to do? I know what we need to do. We need to start a, a Twitter group or a following, or we need to get a Facebook group. And if enough of us get together, it'll change the mind of the people and that'll change the world. Let me tell you something. God's in control. He's going to have his way. And no matter how many people go against him, he will still win. He will still win. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 says this, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, nor from the Democrats, nor from the Republicans, nor from the communists, nor from the Marxists. For God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. Say, I don't believe that. You better believe it (laughs) because God has declared it. I'm just here today declaring the word of God, declaring the word of God. Let me show you something in the New Testament. Turn with me over to John chapter 12. Sometimes we wonder as believers, just kind of backing it up a little bit out of the message for a second, then we'll go back. Sometimes we wonder as believers, well, how's it going to be? I've heard people paint all kinds of pictures of the judgment seat of Christ and about standing before God. And well, you know, I know I'm living in sin, but God understands. And what got me here, he understands all that. And, and, you know, kind of telling God how he's supposed to respond to their rebellion as a person. God says this, do you want to know how I am? Do you want to know how I'm going to deal with you? Not only in this life, but also in the future. I'll show you. And Jesus talked about it. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, he says this, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I'd say, whoa, what do you mean? He doesn't judge. He's not done. Keep reading. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That was his mission when he came. Not to judge the world, but to save the world. Well, oh, great. That means there's no judgment. No, he didn't say that. Let's not be generating fake news. He didn't say that. Verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. If we want to know how God will judge by what standard he is going to use this book, that's why he gave it to us, folks, so we know right from wrong, so we know how God works, so we know his morals, his ethics, so we know how we should be, how we shouldn't be. He gave us a book. He put it in black and white. This is so important. And so how is he going to deal, coming down to the thing everybody wonders about, how's he going to deal with America? Let's talk about the future of America. First, let me say this, folks, about our nation. There's never been a nation in the history of the world that's been more generous than the United States of America. We have done more to take the gospel to the world than any other nation in the history of the world. We have done more to produce Bibles, Bible publishers, than any nation in the history of the world. 
Now you might say, well, wait a minute. My Bible at the beginning says made in China. <laughs> I've got a King James Bible says made in China. Well, again, I'm talking about history, okay? Or South Korea. We've done more to help people when there's crisis in the world, right? Listen, who has ever heard of a nation that goes into world war, defeats the enemy, then turns around and helps the enemy rebuild? Only the Christian mind would do such a thing. Only Christian principle would do such a thing. The rest of the world, what do they do? They defeat the enemy and then they occupy. We're not interested in that. What about our military? The greatest that there's ever been. Amazing, our military. But folks, this is history. And God, yes, he has judged us and he has blessed us and he has worked with us in the past, but that's not a guarantee of the future how God's gonna deal with us. And the truth of it is, if you've been alive for any period of time, you know that we are in trouble as a nation, serious trouble as a nation. So what about the future of America? I've been asked many times about whether our country is in the Bible as far as prophecy goes. While I could be wrong, I seriously doubt it. The answer really, though, is no. The United States of America is not talked about. I know there's things people say, well, what about that verse, that verse, this and that? I have one resource. If you're interested in it, you can see me later on this. I had a pastor out of Oklahoma. He's a good Bible teacher. He actually has a book about that. And he goes through and he talks about history and so forth. And he says, no, we're just not there. And I agree with him. I agreed with him before I read what he had to say. We're not there. The answer is no. Now that's fascinating when you think about it. If we have been the greatest nation in the history of the world, isn't it interesting that we're not written about in Scripture? Now, I understand Scripture stopped being written at a certain point, but the Lord could have, if he wanted, put it in prophetical sections of Scripture, right? And give strong inference and description to where we read it and we say, this is undoubtedly the United States of America. We're not there. We're not there. And as interesting as that is, it's almost like the Lord is saying, what you make of it is up to you. I'm not going to talk about you in my book. What you make of this nation is going to be up to you. See, folks, the greatness of America in the past has been its adherence to the truths of Scripture. That is our foundation. That has been, has been our history. The Bible has been woven into the very fabric of this nation of ours. It is literally set in stone in Washington, D.C. and other places. You can go to Washington, D.C. and see the monuments and see the buildings and there's scripture etched in stone. This is our heritage, regardless of what the left wants to say about it. This is our heritage. We do have a biblical Judeo-Christian heritage in America. That is what we are founded on. We are founded on the principles found in the word of God. But God is no respecter of persons and neither is he a respecter of nations. 
And so what has been true in the past of enjoying the blessings of God doesn't necessarily mean we will continue to enjoy the blessings of God in the future. In Psalm 33 and verse 12, it says this. Now, I know it's talking about the nation of Israel. I know that's the context. But it is a truth nonetheless because of the law of sowing and reaping. And it says in Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Do we want to be blessed as a country? The God of the Bible needs to be our Lord. Well, wait a minute. What do you do with freedom of religion with that? Listen, friend, no one is twisting you. Let me tell you something. You don't become a Christian with a gun to your head. I'm sorry, that's Islam, not Christianity. You don't make a person a Christian by saying, believe or I'm going to blow your brains out. This is an issue of the innermost being, the core, the heart. It's something you decide for yourselves whether you're going to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior or not. But here's the truth. For those who are not only put your faith in Christ, but now once you're saved to live according to the word of God, that's your choice. That's my choice also. And that would be an issue of a nation embracing the God of the Bible. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But then there's this sobering truth, and I want you to see this. Turn with me to Psalm 9. Now, you see the heart of God. Blessed is the nation. Blessed, happy, joyful is the nation whose God is the Lord. Why is that? Because when you choose the God of the Bible as your God, when you put your faith in Christ and then live according to the word of God, you have embraced him, and he says you will be blessed. And he does it according to the truth of Scripture. But the opposite is also truth. We see the sobering truth in Psalm 9, verse 17. It says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say all the nations that never knew God, although it would be true for them because they've gone their own way and not his. But here it says, those nations that forget God. Is that not exactly where we're finding ourselves more and more in our country? We have forgotten him. We've put him behind. We've kicked him out of our schools. We'll be turned to hell if we forget him. Listen, the United States of America will be turned to hell if we forget the God of the Bible. I don't say that with pleasure. It's a sad truth, but it is a truth because God is no respecter of nations. Our nation is getting further and further away from God's ways. We are as a nation for many decades, we have forsaken the word of God and the ways of God. Not everybody, thank God there's still many people who hold dear the truths of scripture, we get that. But sickness and disease does not take over a body and kill it all of a sudden. It takes time, but the result's the same. We, for many decades now, have forgotten the ways of God. This has happened in my lifetime. Listen, I grew up in the 60s, and I remember when, you know, uh, our society was more like an Ozzie and Harriet or Donna Reed show or, or these kind of things, or some folks were Beverly Hillbillies, I guess, but we didn't have a whole lot of association with them. I guess it's where we lived. But here's the point. We are unraveling as a nation. Why? Because we have gotten further and further away from the word of God. God's word is true. He who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. We are becoming a corrupt society. This is not what our founding fathers nor earlier generations expected. 
Our first president, George Washington, said this, and I quote, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible, unquote. The evil that is on parade today, literally, literally, evil on parade in our nation is asking God to judge us and to bring us down. Perversion of every kind is being thrust upon us. Our children are being defiled by it. These are things that would have never taken place, but we're seeing it. We have gone morally and spiritually insane as a nation. We have now a reprobate mind. God talked about it in Romans chapter 1. That's where we find ourselves on many fronts today. Not everywhere, again, not everywhere, but it's getting worse in that direction. 1972, okay, the infamous ruling, Roe versus Wade, and what a disaster that was. And and we praise God for the overturn of that. Listen, it hasn't fixed everything, but it's a step in the right direction. We need to understand God is going to honor that decision. It's not going to solve everything, but it is a step in the right direction. Do you understand since 1972, since Roe and Wade went into, became the law of the land? Listen, 64 million abortions have taken place in the United States. 64 million human beings are not here who could have been here. I got an email just the other day from Liberty Council. Matt Staver, and he says this. I'll only quote a little bit of it. Again, we praise God for the overturn, but that doesn't solve the abortion problem, does it, in America? Because you can still go get one. He said this, quote, the biblical character of Jezebel is perhaps the most infamous worshiper of the false deity Baal and other pagan gods. Two hallmarks of Baal worship were sexual deviancy and the bloody sacrifice of children to quench the false god's thirst for the blood of innocence. Paganism from Phoenicia spread through the Middle East because that nation's widespread trade, and this eventually caused the downfall of Israel's northern and southern kingdoms. He goes on, there is no practical difference between pagan child sacrifice and modern-day abortion. The thirst for innocent infant blood continues. There is nothing new under the sun. And when this ongoing child sacrifice is threatened, the abortion terrorists turn their rage on those of us who stand for life. Now, let me say this today. If you are pro-choice, you are either ignorant of the facts, you bought into that it's just a blob in the womb of a mother. I have a hard time believing anybody could believe that. What was it, 16 days, I think we heard? Heartbeat? At 16 days, there's a heartbeat. 16 days after conception, there's a heartbeat. Now listen, if you are pro-choice, in other words, you, you, you say abortion is fine, listen, you are either ignorant of the facts, and there's no excuse for that now. All the science, you know, follow the science. All the science is very clear that that is a child and the mother. Okay? Through technology, through the different things that we have, tools, there's no question. So if you are pro choice, you either ignorant of the facts, or the second one is this 
You are just plain evil. You're evil. Because if you know the facts and you still think it's okay to murder the baby in the womb, that's evil. What is the difference? There's just a matter of what? Little bit of space there from inside the womb to outside the womb. And then you've got people who enthusiastically support partial birth abortion, where most of the baby is out of the womb except the head is in there. Then you kill the baby at that point. How can we do that, folks? How can we do that? Now listen, the the recent ruling against Roe v. Wade, it didn't do away with that. What it did away with is the federal government being in control of the issues of abortion. Now it's in the hands of the states. It is beyond belief that there can be such an outcry against the life of babies. What kind of society, what kind of a mindset is positive towards the concept of killing babies that are in the womb? And some of them, by the way, say, oh, you know what? Even once they're out of the womb, if you decide that, you know, you want to do away with the life. Wait a minute. Anyways, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but nevertheless, is what I'm saying not true? If anybody's listening to this and you're pro-choice, here's what I ask you to do. You might say, well, I'm not evil. I'm not an evil person. I don't want to be evil. Okay, let me ask you this. Then will you educate yourself? Will you get information from Pregnancy Resource Center or go online and just check some pro-life sites and see what the facts really are? I think you'll see it. Many people have. Many people have been ignorant of the facts. Once they see the facts, they say, no, we're not going to kill the baby. Can I tell you this? You don't have to kill the baby. You might say, well, this is unwanted pregnancy. Okay, will you just inconvenience yourself for a while, take that baby full term, and then let a family that is yearning to have a child adopt that child. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. So what about the future of America? Well, Again, the greatness of America in the past has been its adherence to the truth of Scripture. And by the way, that is what we need as well in the futures. So what about the future? What's going to happen to our country? Here you go. Here are some scenarios. If there are more, I'm not aware of them. But here are some scenarios. First is this. The future of America. We could be destroyed by our enemies. China, Russia, some of these other wacko countries. It's possible. You might say, well, I don't think that's going to happen. It's just the scenario. I'm not saying I believe that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying that is something that could happen. Some sort of warfare, biological or nuclear. Here's another one. We could collapse as a nation. We could implode as a nation. This would be through the immoral and ungodly direction we are on the road of right now. God is not mocked. And he could fold us up as a nation. You know, folks, all the perversion and corruption and everything we see in our nation right now, you might say, well, God's going to shut us down. That's his call. Because there's also a lot of godly people in America. There's still a lot of good that's being done. It's his call. We're not 100% evil. We're not like Sodom and Gomorrah. You might say, what do you mean we're not? I mean, look, no, I'm talking about if you take the number, the population of America, not the whole country thinks that way. It's up to God. 
But why do we even want to entertain a thought, right? We don't have to. But we could collapse as a nation. Personally, I believe eventually we will collapse as a nation. My prayer is that we could stay free until the rapture of the church, which leads me to my third point. There is no doubt in my mind that if our country is still here when the rapture occurs, then we will implode as a nation once the believers are taken out of the country. I think the only thing that is holding the full destruction of America back are the believers of our country who are living for Christ. I think that's the only thing. Once the church is taken out, there is going to be a void, and the only thing left will be evil to fill the void. All the believers taken out of the world at the rapture of the church, and what was holding the evil back from completely controlling our country will be gone. It'll be like a dam that breaks, and the flood of iniquity is going to come over this planet when the rapture takes place. Folks, it's going to be horrific what takes place. I think that flood, when the church is taken out, I also think there is going to be, there's going to be an incredible release of demon activity upon the planet. It's going to be very, very different. So I think there's those three scenarios. We could be destroyed by our enemies. I hope that doesn't happen. I pray it doesn't. I pray our military is still intact enough and aware enough and competent enough to where that's not going to happen. Secondly, we could collapse as a nation because of our immorality and the direction we're going. God is watching. God is working. The law of sowing and reaping is still in gear. And I think it's just a matter of time before we do collapse. But third, there's no doubt in my mind that if our country is still here when the rapture occurs, and I do pray it will be, that we will at that time when the church is taken out, we will implode. So what can we do? Here's what we can do. I can tell you what not to do. Don't get discouraged as a believer to where you just go retreat and go get in a hole someplace and get depressed. God does not leave us here to be hermits. He leaves us here to be his servants. So what can we do? We can lead people to Christ. As one preacher of the past said, if we want to save America, then we need to get America saved. Care about our country? Preach the gospel. Share the gospel with the lost. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Secondly, we can pray. We can pray. Does that make a difference? It makes a difference. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority and those who think they're kings, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Third, we can be salt and light to our lost world like we should be. Jesus talked about it, right? We're the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. You might say, wait, I thought he's the light of the world. We're Christians. We're his. We're one with him. Listen, he's gone physically, but he left us here. He passed the torch, didn't he? We are the light of the world in um, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, verse 16, 
It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen, folks, we are dealing with, and I think we are under the judgment of God as a nation, but there is still good seed that's being planted. There's a lot of bad seed that's being planted. I get that, and we're seeing the crop of the 50s and the 60s in particular coming up, and the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You get it. But there's still good seed being planted, and God honors that. He not only looks at the bad, but he also looks at the good. And fourth, we can vote for candidates that support biblical principles. Vote for candidates that support biblical principles. Why? Well, because Proverbs 14, 34, what's it say? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Vote for those who stand for biblical principles. That's what righteousness is. That's what raises a nation up, is keeping on that. Now, let me say this today. The world is going to get increasingly worse, not better. What about the United States? It's up to us. It's up to us. If we are true and faithful to the word of God, if we are winning people to Christ, people are coming to Christ, trusting Christ, being born again. Now they have a new nature and then we are true to our mission of discipleship in the lives of those who are saved and they start living for Christ and they start sharing the gospel and they start being light in darkness and they start being salt, which is a preservative in this world. It's up to us. Can our nation be turned around? People say, well, no, no, it it, it can't be. Wait a minute, where'd you get that? Did you know the Bible doesn't say that? Remember, the Bible is on the United States. You may be here today, you're not sure where you're going when you die. Let me tell you how to become a child of God. Let me explain it to you with an illustration that's helpful for me. This hand representing you and me, this wallet representing our sin. Every one of us is a sinner, including me. That's why we have the problems we have. Yet God loves us. In spite of the fact we're sinners, God loves us. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, we have to be without any sin at all. That presents a big problem because we have sin. We're sinners. Heaven's a perfect place. We're not. God says, because he is a God of justice, he says, you've broken my laws. You violated my word. Sin has to be paid for. If we do it, the wages of sin is death. We'd be lost forever in hell, suffering for that. He doesn't want that for us. Many religious people think, well, I'll do good works. That'll pay for sin. No, death is the only payment. As we see here, for by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing you could do to save yourself. So then what are we going to do? Well, if it stopped there, it would be a completely bleak picture hopeless, but there is hope. This hand representing God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world and he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He made the payment for our sins. So we don't have to. All the sin you've ever done in your whole lifetime, he paid for that on the cross. He was buried. He came back from the dead victoriously. And he says this, if you will believe that he made that payment for you, he will give you everlasting life as a gift. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you trust in Christ as your savior, the payment he made is good on your behalf. Your sins are all forgiven. He gives you eternal life. If you have no sins, you can go to heaven. If you have no sins, you can't go to hell. If you have no sins, you go to heaven. If you have no sins, you can't go to hell. But the only way you get there to where God does not see you with your sin is by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you trust him as your Savior this morning? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.